Welcome. Bonjour. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. You're listening to the Dirty Feet podcast on the No More Radio Network. Nous sommes vos animateurs et animatrices. We are your hosts, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Listen in. Écoutez. We're going to move you. This is a special fringe edition of the podcast. One of several episodes recorded while touring the circuit of the Canadian Association of Fringe Festivals during the summer of 2015. Fringe festivals showcase non-curated theatre, dance, and other forms of art. You can learn more at fringefestivals.com. This is another special Fringe episode of the Dirty Feet podcast, brought to you from Winnipeg, Manitoba, where we're covering the uh, festival here. Uh, this is one of the bigger Fringe festivals for audience. Uh, there is a lot of patron support in this city, and uh, we're very thrilled to be here. So we're going to be talking to some of the choreographers of dance projects uh, that are being presented as a part of the Fringe Festival in Winnipeg here. And uh, I'm going to start off uh, with Stephanie Lilly, who is the artistic director and choreographer for the company Viva Dance. And they're presenting Dreamscape, Our Dreams Told Through Dance. And they're also on tour. Um, they're hitting five cities this summer with, uh, with the project. So, uh, Stephanie, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Allison. Excellent. So let's start with uh, Viva Dance mm -hmm. and uh, what inspired you to uh, put this group of people together and get this project sure. started. So I've done a lot of freelance work over the years and about three years ago I put a name to the group and just decided to formalize things a little bit. Um, that summer we did our first Fringe show in Edmonton where we're based out of and we did really quite well. We, were, uh, we had the most ticket sales for a single showing. Um, and that started our momentum. We were we had a really strong following of um, particularly non-dancers, non-dance connoisseurs, and we used that momentum to build to where we are today. There have been some uh, some speed bumps along the way, um, nothing bad, but you know you have a baby and you have to take a couple weeks off here and there. Um, so fast forward two summers to the present, and we're now doing a five-city tour with our latest full-length contemporary show. And this is city two for you. You started in it Orlando. Is. We did. We started in Orlando, Florida, which was a wonderful experience. Um, Orlando has the largest fringe festival in the States, um, so I've been told, and they, they were great hosts to us. We were only there the first four days of the festival. And we found it quite difficult to garner following in a city where we didn't know anyone. We don't really have any connections. Um, but it was great experience for us. Uh, really great uh, bonding for all of the company members. And overall, a great uh, choice for us. And you, and you walked away with an award as well. We did. We walked away with a Critics' Choice Award for Best Dance Show. 
All right. And then, so you're you're here in Winnipeg now, and then you're going home to Edmonton, and then off yep. to Victoria and Vancouver. Yeah. So our next festival is Edmonton, uh, which is mid to late August. And then from there, we go to Victoria, and we finish off our tour in Vancouver. So by the end of it, we will have performed, I think it's 24 shows. You mentioned the the logistics of your cast are a bit... Yeah. Interesting. So you've got six yes. six performers, including yourself, on stage. Yes. We always have, well, I shouldn't say always. Um, our ideal cast is six members. Uh, for Vancouver, we will only have five. Um, and for all of the five cities, we don't have the same cast for any two cities. So because everyone has a full-time job, many of us are professionals, two of us are mothers, we just can't make every city work for every person. Um, so we're having to, you know, rehearse and learn different spots. And, you know, it keeps things fresh and uh, a little bit unpredictable and a little bit more organic for us. Yeah, keeping it keeping it alive. Yeah, totally. And then as far as these, these six individuals mm-hmm. go, uh, they're all, I imagine, Edmonton-based artists? Yes, now everyone is... Edmonton based. Um, I was born in Vancouver. Kelsey Edwards was born in Calgary and grew up there. Uh, but yeah, we're all living in Edmonton these days. Is there a, a link with where you studied or, or how you all came together? No. And actually we don't, Viva Dance Company doesn't hold open auditions either. Our audition process is getting to know each other through the dance world um, and uh, making sure we click both artistically and personally as well. So there's a bit of a different story to each person. Uh, Marla and I have been friends uh, for about 12 years now. We met actually through an ex-boyfriend of mine and the boyfriend and I um, cut ties but Marla and I have stayed together. Um, A few of the other girls I've met through Orcasis which is the uh, University of Alberta's dance club where I teach advanced dance or advanced jazz classes and uh, yeah, I've just picked a few of them up along the way. Um, Emma Bodnarik, I taught her when she was in grade nine. Um, I go in and do some workshops with Edmonton Public Schools and Edmonton Catholic Schools. And I taught a workshop at her school when she was in grade nine. And we we reunited once she got into university and uh, found our way together in the company. All right, and then if we're if we're looking at Dreamscape here, mm-hmm. you've got twelve works um, that are that are mostly distinguished by by a piece of music, mm-hmm. and they're they're representing kind of different different dreams, different dreams, with yeah. different uh, concepts on right. that on yeah. that idea, and uh, they're all choreographed by yourself except for one of them, which mm-hmm. was choreographed by uh, a, a co choreography between Kelsey Edwards and Stephanie Appelt. Yeah, so uh, Stephanie Appelt wasn't able to join us on this tour Um, but her and Kelsey collaborated to create this number almost all of the works are are danced by all six of you there are a few exceptions Mm -hmm. where there's a kind of a a smaller group of Mm -hmm. uh, of people yeah Um, it's it's very um, I'm going to try and describe it here you call it contemporary dance. There's a lot of lyricism in it. There's a lot of jazz in it as well. Uh, in the, your last piece, I saw a little bit of African dance influence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's even a bit of, of urban influence, a bit of like acrobatics coming in yep. in, in little blushes here and there yeah. throughout the work. Yeah. But for the most part, it's very high energy kind of... Um, very high energy. When people ask me to describe contemporary dance, mm-hmm. um, I always say 
Well, contemporary simply means the latest style of something. So it's not a set technique. Um, and to us, contemporary is a mixture of jazz, lyrical, modern, we're ballet based, um, yoga, acrobatics, gymnastics. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of street jazz or hip hop. Um, and it's just really our own, our own movement. Uh, I don't know how else to define it, but contemporary dance for one group is different than what it is for another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're, you're, uh, you use a lot of synchronicity, a lot of unison and, and canon and, mm -hmm. and things like that. And you can see that there's a lot of consistency between the, the, the players, the, the dancers. So I'm, I'm surprised to hear that they're kind of, you, you're picked from different places yeah. at the same time you really kind of are yeah. on the same page yeah. when it comes to the performance. Something we find very important in the group is to continue training together. So we do have two weekly company classes um, and we always start with a really thorough warm-up, stretch, conditioning, toning, um, yoga, center bar, like at least 45 minutes at the start of every class, every single rehearsal. And then we do across the floor. Sometimes we'll work on a combination or a dance together. Um, but we'll, we'll also take turns leading exercises so we all get a taste of each other's styles and when we do train together we try to move in the same way and if you notice from the cast every single person is shaped very differently there isn't really a consistent um, uh, body size shape body type that we go for um, and everyone has a different base of where they came from as well so it's really a conscious decision that we have to make at every rehearsal to try to move like each other Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we don't we don't think of it as assimilating. We think of it as inspiring each other, mm -hmm. and we try to you know we we try to find who is our eye drawn toward in the group. What is it about them that we like watching, and how can we emulate that in our own dancing? Oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> Thanks. And it comes out as a as a very clean looking looking work. Thank you. There, in some of the uh, segments, you, you kind of speak of of, of struggle and kind of. Uh, darker dreams or, 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 or heavier topics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the partnering that kind of goes along with this, it remains supportive just, just by the nature of, of the dance form yeah. itself. Um, so even, even a struggle looks very collaborative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, in the nature of being safe and taking care of our bodies, it's kind of what you have to do. Um, but there's a lot of, um, there's give and take where partnering is concerned. And I mean, you have to trust each other with your safety and your health and your body. And sometimes you trust each other and it still doesn't work out and you get dropped. And that's um, symbolic. It's also very literal. Yeah. And you yeah. just, you go with it. Um, and that all the partnering work is really to symbolize how sometimes you need support and sometimes you can offer support to someone else sometimes you're the anchor that's pulling someone else down and other times it's someone else that just won't let you catch a break wondering if you could speak at all to kind of the uh the larger atmosphere created by the work. Um, I'm thinking that the costumes are, are fairly straightforward. You know, it's it's kind of casual half dance wear mm -hmm. that's going on. Uh, you you very seldom use prop. There's a fabric in, in one of the works, um, but for the most part, it's the lights 
the dramatic lights in this beautiful space that you're performing in that are that are kind of uh, taking us from scene to scene and from universe to universe. Yeah, yeah, we're very simplistic in our costuming for sure, as well as props. We like to think that it's about um, it's about the movement for us. We don't want to be overshadowed by anything else. The other art that we use is meant to complement us. The music, the lighting, the costuming, the props, etc. Um, what we really want to emphasize is um, the, the movement and we refer to the movement as the physical emotion. Yeah, so the, the movement is our emotions materialized. It's like we're talking about we're talking about our emotions, but rather than using words, we use our bodies. So, for you as the choreographer in this in mm-hmm. this process, how does that how does that translation happen? Uh, there's a lot of experimentation with movement. Um, there's a lot of what do I feel when I do this movement, and how does it translate to the audience? How can I do this exact same movement twice? And portray two different emotions, and then so when it when it comes to to one of these segments, what comes first? Because uh, like for for example, I'll just pick a pick a quick one here. Um, Don't look down is the the title of one of the one of the works. Mm-hmm. We are not trapped inside our bodies or held back by gravity. So is it the concept that comes first? Is it the title? Is it the track? Uh, it's it's kind of a combination. It's. Um, uh, Don't Look Down is Marla's solo. And for me, the solo was inspired by Marla's body and Marla's crazy ability. She's acro trained. She does a lot of circus training as well on the silks and um, um, a lot of gymnastic work as well. So I, I had this dream when we were first building the show. I had this, this dream about flying and wanted to somehow translate that into a dance and I thought how how could I show how I'm able to defy gravity in my dreams and I figured well I could do it through Marla's body because Marla's body seems to be able to defy gravity and (laughs) defy the way that most people's bodies move so the way she can you know balance on her chin or do a front walkover and land on her toes Um, is not it's totally out of the ordinary Um, so that dance in particular started with um, the inspiration of Marla's body and then I after that I looked for a song and then after that we just started to put the pieces together in that in that solo without the use of of, uh, silks or anything like that but she does I think have her head below her feet for the majority of the, of the yes, work or at least yes. at the same level of a lot of inversions yeah yep. yeah maybe you could tell us a bit about one of the other works maybe just pick a work and tell us about the starting point sure this is not the end is a really special dance for me um for the others in particular but for for me it um it means something very personal I've had dreams about dying before, as many people do, and when I know I'm dying, I'm not scared. I feel anxious because I don't know what's coming, but, but I'm not scared um, because I trust that I'll be taken care of. 
So in my dreams about dying, I literally drop to my knees and open my hands up to God because I know that he's going to take care of me. And it's my way of saying, I'm not going to fight it and I'm ready to go. Um, and this dance is really prevalent in my life. This meaning is very prevalent in my life right now. I have, um, my auntie is sick. She's not doing great. Um, she has advanced Parkinson's and she's losing her physical abilities, but she's mentally still there. And her and my mom talk a lot about death and what's coming next. And our family is very religious um, and we believe in heaven and the afterlife. And they talk about what it's going to be like when, when she dies. Um, and this dance for me is channeling my auntie and what she's going through now and trying to give her comfort um, when when we die the message is that it's not over you're not alone in a black room all by yourself your soul keeps on living and your soul keeps on being your existence doesn't go away um, and if you can surrender yourself knowing that there's something more on the other end um, your soul is able to heal and to go on and th this is the penultimate uh, piece in the show and it is is quite big and and beautiful um, this is very personal perspective and fuel for the for that choreography in particular how much of that um, do you share with the dancers or do you encourage them to find a similar mm -hmm. source both so I tell them what it means to me and I tell them about the personal story and how that translates into my own life and I invite them to reflect on it and to um, evaluate what it means to them we also do the same for our audience members. We, um, you know, we have these short descriptions available in our program, but we don't want the program to be prescriptive for people. We want people to apply their own meaning to the dreams. Um, what it means for me is totally different than what it's going to mean for another person. Mm -hmm. And we're happy as long as our art provokes some sort of feeling in people. Stephanie Lilly, thank you so much for joining us today. We've been talking about uh, Dreamscape, Our Dreams Told Through Dance, which is a dance show here at the Winnipeg Fringe Festival. It's by the company Viva Dance Company, and uh, you're presenting your work at Venue One, which is the John Hirsch main stage. And you've got uh, quite a few shows left. You can check out the uh, Winnipeg Fringe website, or uh, the Viva Dance has a website of their own, yes? Yeah, so you can check out our website at www.vivadancecompany.com. Com. Excellent. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much.
Carrying on with our fringe coverage here in the lovely city of Winnipeg, Manitoba, we're going to be speaking with a pair of choreographers who have uh, created a double bill called Essentia here at the festival. Uh, We'll be speaking with Janelle Hako and Hilary Christ, who are um, both choreographing uh, duets for each other or for the two of them uh, in this production. And the, the company is... Hacko and Chris Productions, if you're looking for it in the program. So uh, thank you very much for joining us today, for starters. Um, uh, thanks for having us. Uh, so the two of you have actually studied in different places, um, representing Winnipeg. Uh, Janelle, you, you studied at the Winnipeg Contemporary Dancers School, correct? Yes, yeah, the School of Contemporary Dancers, yeah. Great. Hillary, you actually studied at uh, in Toronto at uh, Ryerson University. Yeah, Ryerson. I'm from Toronto originally. And uh, the three of us actually met last summer in uh, Toronto for the uh, Fringe Festival there when you were both dancing for Alexandria Elliott, who we'll be speaking with later in the program. Yeah. So this is when the two of you met, and uh, shortly afterwards you were just telling us about uh, how you decided to start collaborating after plenty of exposure last summer. Yeah, so we went straight from the Toronto Fringe Festival to Israel and spent two full weeks together. Planning. A a Gaga workshop as well. Planning for the year. Yeah, we were doing a Gaga workshop. Very exciting. Yeah, it was great. Super. So is this your first production as a as a team? It is, yeah. Now, what you've done with this project is you've each taken half the program and created a work, um, and you're choreographing for, for a duet for the two of you. So let's start with... Uh, Let's start with Janelle, because you have the microphone right now. Sure, yeah. What, uh, what inspired you for your section of the work? Um, I've... Well... So three years ago, my mom passed away from cancer. And since then, like everything for whatever reason um, that I want to do and express has to do with that experience. So I was drawing on the things that I was struggling with um, as a person and also what I would see from my mom. And yeah, I don't know. I just I felt like I had no words to really describe my experience I couldn't really talk about it like you know you don't bring up hey so my mom died let's like here's my story um but I did want to express it in some way and so when Hillary and I decided to do um a show together this yeah this is what I uh I thought about instantly I'd been reading uh, near-death experience books because I was like what happens when you die you know like everyone is enthralled with this mystery and it'll forever be a mystery so I just I read and read and read and I just kind of I filled my creative tank and then uh, yeah I just went to town with um with doing it through dance I suppose yeah excellent and for you Hillary I'm I'm very inspired by other art forms they always when I see hear a good piece of music or see an an inspiring film I think about like how I can how I can connect those to dance and to choreography so I saw this film Persona by Ingmar Bergman just on YouTube I just watched it it's kind of like a classic experimental film from the 60s and it was just so um arresting that I just and the the dynamic between the two characters was so fascinating for me they were just it was so complex and so intriguing that I was just like what an what an what an interesting dynamic and like 
I was I really wanted to see how I could portray that through dance and see how those feelings and that you know the those personalities could could manifest through dance so I just use that as an inspiration for the for the work and yeah I think also just I'm I'm really inspired by by uh visuals I really wanted like the the visual appeal of this film because it's it's almost like a silent film there's not much dialogue so it was almost just like it was like a, it was like watching a dance how is your um, transition moving from Toronto and coming to Winnipeg and, and obviously deciding to kind of establish yourself here and, and stay here? Do you find yourself still wanting to be a part of the community back in Toronto, back at, uh, you said you went to Ryerson, right? Mm. And how, how has that been, that exchange between the two cities? Well, I'm always open. I would always be open to going back and working in Toronto. It's difficult because it's it's hard to travel um, just because I have a life here, you know, I, I think the only way to get jobs in any city is to go there and like just incorporate yourself into the, the community. And that's the best way to, to connect with people and dancers. So if I, I think if I, you know, wanted to go back to Toronto and work, I would have to block off like half a year. And do you, do you feel the piece that you've created that you're performing here at the Winnipeg Fringe, do you feel there are influences from your Toronto background as a dancer and that distinguish the maybe the styles of both of your choreographies? Well, I think there are lots of things that, um, that contribute to my style. Like, I think growing up in Toronto and being um, part of the music, like I was, a, I played a lot of music in Toronto and I had a lot of influences that were my friends who were filmmakers who were musicians and were also dancers like all kinds of different artists and I think that's what sort of like fuels my my work is just like all sorts of art being I don't know expressed and for you Janelle what what is uh the Winnipeg School of Contemporary Dancers is kind of a hub here and there's a lot of talk about it and the in the country of a place to go to to study um what what was your experience there and how has that contributed to your work um okay well first off i came to dance like pretty late in life um so i didn't really know where to go for school i just uh stumbled upon the audition and thought i would just take a crack at it i was a jazz bunny um and maybe did like my first shift or curve uh like earlier that year I was like 22 or 23 I was yeah it was a lot later um and so yeah um how has it influenced me it definitely developed me as a technician I think it creates really strong technical dancers and maybe that's why there's a a buzz about it um also because of the legacy that Rachel Brown um has left us uh so it has um like a strong grounded Mm -hmm. uh base so Yeah. yeah so it creates like really technically strong grounded um people uh dancers how it influences my work I think it does I just never really have thought about it um, of course yeah before. it's just something that gets integrated more in, 
and and then it maybe pops up at other points and you realize that it's come from there. It comes from there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. And like I mean, I hope that I make I hope that I make like less modern dance and more contemporary work, but um but they feed into each other. Yeah, and of it's course. it's a really good base. Um I think more of my influence is from like my theatrical background. So I I was an actor before I was a dancer, and so I think I'm always looking for narrative. I'm always looking for something that connects on the human level and less on the, like, you know, looking for lines and so forth. So I think that's probably more of a, an influence. But, um, yeah. To, to approach this, this um, idea from maybe a different angle, watching the work, it's a very, it's a very highly physical piece. You, you could, I, I would imagine you could see kind of the Gaga influence of the softness in, in the work. Um, I'm, something that stood out for me also was your, your proximity and your comfort with each other, which was, which was um, pretty frequent and, and very comfortable. Um, is, there, is there contact improv in your training or something, partner work that you've, that you've done together in research or workshops? Okay, so this is where I'm influenced by the School of Contemporary Dancers. Um, they, every year they bring in um, Peter uh, Bingham, who's a contact improv guru. And I fell in love with contact. And so I think a lot of the combat, a lot of the lifting, a lot of that stuff, the proximity work, you know, the closeness, um, I think that is influenced the most. Uh, I think both Hillary and I also just really wanted a dance show that has a lot of dance in it. Um, little less like performance art and yeah, more physical, more physically um, active, I guess. Um, so yeah, so I'm influenced by contact improvisation for sure. I've, uh, I went to AHA Productions uh, workshop in Montreal and fell in love with that. So that has influenced me, Hillary. Yeah, well, I think when you're working with anybody closely and 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 in like a duet nature, you you need to be able to be comfortable with like their bodies and like Im improvising with weight and sharing weight and learning how to like connect centers and and all that stuff. So I think like we both have a have a background in contact improv and I think that is like one of the best tools you can have as a choreographer when you're working with duets is just like a sense of of center and connection with another dancer not just like you know heavy lifting and all that stuff you know so yeah I think uh well and you've done elevation work right? yeah I used I worked with Alan Kaja in Toronto so um I learned a lot about contact improv and 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 elevations from him um, and in terms, so in terms of connecting both of your pieces that are, are coming from different places and bringing it into one show together, um, what was the process in doing that, uh, working together in that way? So I think it was kind of, we just started talking when we, when we were thinking about doing this show together, we started talking about what we, what themes we wanted to explore. And I had this, I think. I think I already had this idea. Yeah. I think I already had this idea about the about the persona um and 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 exploring sort of like the the dichotomy of personality and persona and and like inner 
conflict and all that sort of stuff. And, and I think Janelle just actually had a similar idea to explore. And so we were like, well, this is great. <laughs> let's do, let's both do these and yeah. we can put it together as one show. And I think to have the cohesiveness was important to us. I think it just made it like a little bit more organic. Yeah. Yeah, like I was obsessed with the afterlife and then I was like, okay, well that has something to do with self and she's wanting to work with self. So I took what my original idea was and I took from hers and I was flexible with it and then I was like, okay, well maybe it's more of a more more of a personal journey. Like maybe this is about like me wrestling with myself instead of like what does like the afterlife look like. So then I kind of took our idea and uh, let that influence my original idea. It was synchronistic. Though. Like it was definitely like we were both excited that we wanted to explore similar things. And um, as far as I think the the main influence of both of your works, you guys kind of moved away and found a common ground. Is is what you're saying? Um, how much information do you want your audience to go in with? Uh, there, there are those inspirations, the reference of the film, reference of a personal loss, personal experience, and, and what, what do they have to go into to enjoy or to understand, or is that even necessary? Right. And what do you want them to leave with? That, that's always a struggle for me because personally, when I present a work, I, I, my favorite audience member doesn't come up to me and say, you know, it was great, but I didn't get it. My favorite audience member says, do you want to hear what I thought? You know, let me tell you what, like, what I got from that. And then they tell me and they're not afraid whether they're right or wrong. But sometimes I find, especially in, uh, when you're presenting work to an audience that isn't used to contemporary dance, you need to sort of give them a little bit of context. Otherwise, you know, they're just going to be like, dance isn't accessible, which we've read about in the in the reviews now. It's like they are looking for accessibility in this in contemporary dance in the fringe, which doesn't make sense to me necessarily. But maybe that's just what audiences need. They need a little bit of context. So I think for this show specifically, we we both agreed that a little bit of context for the audience members was a smart thing to do. And how are you sharing that context? Is it through program? Yeah, we have a little write-up in the program that we we both wrote Mm -hmm. something individually about our pieces. We were both really reluctant to write anything, though. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember making the program, and Hillary gives me, like, this beautifully written uh, paragraph, and I was like, "Uh, I just... I don't even want to say anything. I just wanted to put in a quote because that's what I'm used to when I go to a contemporary dance show is like they might not even say anything. They'll say like, thank you to my dancers. Um, But I live in that world, right? Like similar to what Hillary was saying, um, the fringe welcomes all types of people. And so we really just wanted to, you know, a lot of people said this was my first contemporary dance show I ever ever went to. And so for that, we wanted to, Mm-hmm. kind of ease them in if we were doing our own production outside of the fringe we probably wouldn't give any context because we just really want you to to take it in um from your own experiences and we want you to um to interpret it yourselves well come and experience essentia and take it in and make your own uh make your own assessment on the situation it's by 
Hacko and Chris Productions, and uh, it's playing at Venue 8, which is the Rachel Brown Theater. Janelle and Hillary, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. It was a pleasure. Next up in our uh, coverage of dance at the Winnipeg Fringe Festival, we're going in a slightly different direction, away from contemporary and into the world of flamenco dancing. We're going to be speaking with Pedro Aurelio, who is the choreographer of the show Lorca. Uh, it's by the company Bolero Dance Theatre. Uh, they're also based here in Winnipeg. And uh, we're going to say hello, Pedro. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Wonderful. So you've done you've done several productions before in and outside of the Fringe Festival around Winnipeg, correct? That's correct. Yes. Excellent. Now this this was no small feat. This is a large production with several dancers, several gorgeous costumes and changes. You had live musicians, and uh, it was just an extraordinary experience. Quite an enterprise. Yes, that's exactly. for sure. Lots of work. So when did you first start making work with Bolero Dance Theater? We started the company about 18 years ago. Uh, we started out doing Latin American dancing and Spanish dance and flamenco. And then after a few years, we decided to focus and concentrate on flamenco and Spanish dance, which is what we do mostly now. Okay. And so that's what you, you would see in Lorca is, is both the Spanish dancing and the flamenco. And the flamenco. That's correct. Um, I noticed that there was, there was a um, moment with a woman with soft shoes. That's Dancing, correct. is that more of the Spanish style? That's very much so. You see, most people think that Spanish dancing is all flamenco. In reality, there's four types of Spanish dance. There's your flamenco, which is with the heel shoes, lots of rhythm and hand clapping, no castanets. There's also Spanish folk dancing, and depending on the region, it could have castanets or uh, soft shoes, lots of jumps. Then there's the bolero style of dance, which is from the 18th and 19th century, very similar to ballet, lots of battery and beats and jumps, uh, but with the Spanish arms and castanets together. And then when you combine the three and you interpret classical music, classical Spanish music, that's what they call in Spain classical Spanish dance, which we love as well. So with, with all these tools, you're telling the story of Frederico Garcia Lorca. Perhaps you could give us a quick, uh, quick bio on this gentleman. Garcia Lorca, a poet and playwright, a Spanish poet and playwright. He's well known in Latin America and actually all over the world. His plays are studied at the university level. Um, he was persecuted because of his ideas. Um, he traveled, he went to Cuba, to New York, had many friends, uh, including Manuel de Falla, classical composer, and Salvador Dali. What an interesting life, but killed at the beginning of the civil, uh, civil Spanish War. Having such a big cast and working with uh, different dancers, how do you go about selecting the, the people you want to work with? Well, we have... It's like an amateur company I guess we all have our own jobs outside of the troupe and we meet twice a week we all love what we're doing and it's a following people that have stayed there for a long time uh, people that come and go and depending on also on their training many of the dancers have actually gone to Spain to train we have gone on several trips and had the opportunity to, to do that so that helps a lot 
So there seems to be a community feel, a bit of a family. It's exactly that. It's almost like a family, a community. And the people who have been around for a while, how long have they been a part of the, this following? Uh, there are the people that have been there from the beginning, 18 years ago. 18 years ago. And then there are people that just joined, joined this year. And do you organize any of these productions outside of Winnipeg, or is this your main hub? Uh, mostly in Winnipeg. One year we went to Nova Scotia because I have family there and they organized a show for us at the university in uh, St. Francis Xavier. And that was, that was lots of fun. We also do uh, small gigs outside of the city, sometimes uh, Grand Forks, sometimes uh, northern Manitoba, sometimes Saskatchewan or Ontario, but just staying around so that we can actually drive to those places. And in flamenco and Spanish dancing, the costume is always quite the treat for the eyes. Uh, do you work with a specific costume designer? Are these rentals? How do you go about selecting your costume? I choose the costumes. Yeah. I choose the costumes. Uh, together with some of our dancers, we have uh, Brenda Gisbreg and Megan Latouche, and uh, we, we choose what we want based on shows that we have seen. But... Um, I mostly design all the costumes and sets, and then I, I ask for advice and make it happen. I'm not really the one sewing them. <laughs> <laughs> and how about the uh, the music in your show? What, what where does that come from? What's do you have a composer? Is that traditional music? A little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, I usually like to stick to one composer when we are putting on a show. Uh, this time, because it was Lorcan, he actually composed several pieces. I wanted to bring in some of his music, um, but I also needed something more classical and, and dramatic. So I went with Manuel de Falla, who was a close friend of Lorca, uh, for the classical pieces. The flamenco stuff is mostly traditional music. For other productions that you do, do you often kind of go to his more historical, story-like um, uh, focuses, or, or do you...? We try to tell a story most mm -hmm. of the time. I guess like when you go to the ballet and they tell you a story with ballet vocabulary, we try to tell a story with the flamenco and classical Spanish dance vocabulary. So in the past, we have done stuff like Cinderella, a flamenco Cinderella, but we have also done our last French, which was two years ago, was Cleopatra. And wow. we flew in a dancer from Spain to play Cleopatra. And it was an epic production. So a little bit of everything. So it's all very theatrical, too. A lot of uh, theater-based dancing. Very much so. That's why we call ourselves Bolero Dance Theater. theater. <laughs> Keyword theater. That's right. Yes. We've been speaking with Pedro Aurelio from uh, the company Bolero Dance Theatre, uh, based here in Winnipeg, and they're presenting the work Lorca as part of the Winnipeg Fringe Festival. The show is playing at Venue 20, which is the uh, Centre Culturel Franco-Malitobain, Pauline Boutal Hall. Uh, so you can go check it out there, and you can stay tuned for, for future productions. Do you guys actually have a website at bolerodancetheatre.ca? So if this interests you and you're not able to attend the Fringe, you can go check that out and see what else you can catch by, uh, by that company. Thank you, Pedro, for joining us. Oh, thank you all. Thank you.
Next up for uh, Winnipeg Dance at the Fringe Festival here is going to be another contemporary dance show by Alexandria Elliott Dance called At Your Own Risk. Now, we were in Toronto last year uh, for the Fringe there, and we also spoke to Alex at that point in time about her project. Can you remind us what that was? Yeah, so that was uh, another double bill. It was uh, When All Is Said was a quartet, um, and then I performed a solo called Get Served about restaurant characters. Right, which included lots of trays and and some... um, frustration yes (laughs) (laughs) all right so this time around at your own risk like you mentioned is also a double bill where you're presenting a solo about isolation followed by a a duet uh, on two uh, gentlemen named men yes so uh, and your solo is of course to be alone Mm -hmm. with uh, an ellipses at the beginning and at the end Mm -hmm. there um from from what I recall from from last year's show to this year's uh, production um, I would I would characterize this year's as uh, as more contemporary and less modern there's a lot more focus on kind of um, uh, the atmosphere you use a lot of lighting changes it's a very small space uh, there's um, I would say pro- well there's prop work in both pieces this time mm-hmm. and uh, and and yeah I would I would just see there's there's more mixing of mediums this time around would you agree mm-hmm yeah and and it's funny the solo um, it came from a time I was at the Deep Bay Artist Residency, which is um, made possible by the Manitoba Arts Council. So you can go for, for two weeks or a week. Um, there's a cabin and I sort of cleared the way and made the living room wide open. And I fe- ended up finding this giant insect net or mosquito net. And so it all came from that point, which was way back in October. And when I got back to Winnipeg, I knew that somehow that was the seed of my fringe solo and I worked month after month, like, you know, week after week at trying to pull out whatever it was I had done there um, with tons of props and a lot of vocal work, um, monologues, text, and uh, it just wasn't coming. It was like hitting, you know, hitting over the head with a hammer. Anyways, so about two weeks before the fringe, it all just, all of a sudden, it was almost like the solo made itself it's it was completely stripped of anything but the insect net and um and there it was and it actually ended up being a lot more sort of dancey than i had thought it would be and i think a lot of that playfulness and that prop work went into the duet man instead so strange how things unfold now this uh you you are of course from winnipeg and this is not your your first time presenting at this fringe Mm -hmm. either yeah you're kind of uh you've established yourself here and your company here yeah you've got a bit of a a following going on yeah for sure yeah that feels really good it it it's amazing when i come out and even though it's just a tiny 28 seat venue i come out and if i don't recognize even one face i always think oh my gosh where did all these people come from i feel i i feel so honored when when there's that connection that I can start to make and build and expand in Winnipeg. So just just to give us the the full picture, so you you've, you've described well this the solo, mm-hmm. the highly physical kind of stop start mosquito net, yeah, work, and yeah. then uh, your your duet with uh, with who is it here Warren McClelland and Ian Mosden. Yeah, yeah. And so so how would you describe men? Man. Um, it started in November and and yeah I think because I knew I had so much time from November until fringe it it actually just started with the two of them I envisioned two sort of strong 
tall, big men. And I thought of Ian and Warren right away. Um, and we, we honestly just started to sort of play together in my studio. And I think because of all this stuff I had been doing at the Deep Bay Residency, I was pulling out cutlery and wine glasses and I was opening the hide bed and creating these scenes and taking photos of them. Um, so I started to do that with them. So using their bodies as well as all of these props. So there's inner tubes from bicycles that I had just had from another piece. There's all this cloth, um, crumpled paper, plates, a lamp. So we, we would just create all these different scenes and there's many things we didn't add into the final product. Um, and I think it's the first time that I made something where, you know, we always doubt, we always wonder what are people going to think? Is this to this? Is this to that? But I think it was the first time that I really just let it, let it flow, let my intuition go and not worry about any of that, um, external doubt or judgment coming from the outside. It felt so liberating. Um, and the two of them were just like totally gung ho to do anything. So, yeah. So did you come to the process with Ian and Warren with, with a lot of the preparation done? No, nothing, nothing, just their bodies. Yeah. And I guess you use a lot of uh, improv-based structures or as far as the creative process goes and, and, and how, or actually how choreographed are, is your work? Yeah, good question. Um, for the most part, all of my group work is, is highly choreographed and crafted. Um, I think because my, my, my biggest interest is how two bodies can interlink together um, you know, if you jump and he falls and then jumps over and catches and pulls and pushes, kind of all that cause, action, reaction, partnering. That's my my biggest interest. Um, so I think in this duet, I tried to challenge myself and veer a little bit away from that. So this duet is maybe the most, I guess the most, there was the more improvisation used in the process. Um, but in now in the final product, it is quite set. There are moments when, when the two dancers can um, can move in any way they want, but there's a high structure to it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as the um, music, when did, when did that come in? Because I know that, that this kind of uh, creative process started from, from scratch and mm-hmm. a lot of playing in the studio. Mm-hmm. When did you bring in your, your, your sound? Yeah, so for man, it's al- almost the whole duet is just their own vocals uh, live. So they, they, they groan, they hum, they talk. Um, and, and then there was just this one, <laughs> the section that I think is sort of the more dancey partnering section that needed some kind of audio, but I didn't want it to come from, from them on stage. So um, there was a suggestion that I just record the earlier section where they hum for a long time um, so that we recorded and we, we play over the speakers. My solo, um, my solo, it's the biggest mystery to me still. It just, it just came in a flash after all of this other stuff I thought it would be. And uh, I knew right away that I would crouch um, singing this song that my dad used to sing to me about being scared at night. Um, and so I knew that once the dancing started, it had to be kind of this kind of shrieky, scary uh, music, probably strings, probably. Um, anyways, I, I um, made the sounds of what it should sound like to a very close friend of mine. And he, 
he knew right away what piece of music it was. He said, oh, that's Officium Breve by Georgi Kirtag. And he just like pulled it up on the computer and I was like, that's it. That's exactly what I'm hearing, but I've never <laughs> heard it before. So this solo has something magic that I feel like I only had a small hand in. <laughs> and this piece being presented in, in at the Winnipeg uh, French Festival, do you, do you attend to use the work elsewhere? This is kind of the reason it came together was probably because you had a slot in the festival which yeah. is always a nice way to yes. get a, a little kick in the butt to get a project yes. running yeah. um, but do you do you wish to bring it elsewhere present it for sure yeah um we are we did get into the edmonton fringe festival so we'll be going there um we get there august 10th i think and our our text the next day and so we have six shows there which i'm excited about and i requested a small-ish venue so it you know wasn't kind of lost in a huge in a huge theater um, so we got a nice, a nice intimate venue, and um, I'm excited to see how it evolves there because there will be a full lighting grid and, and you know, just mm-hmm. a big open space. And then for sure, I've I've taken great care to get it documented well here in Winnipeg and photographed. So I'm absolutely wanting to ready you know, to put drop some there. applications. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And your show title being um, at your own risk. Mm-hmm. It's quite the title mm-hmm. because it, it makes you kind of concerned about what is going to happen to you <laughs> if you go to this show, right? What are, what are you going to be risking? So I guess my question is, how do you want the audience to enter uh, mm-hmm. your show? With, with what sort of expectations, what sort of nervousness? Yeah, it's, it's funny. When I came up, the, the solo used to be about sort of danger and safety. Um, there was the insect net. There was um, these old padlocks. There was anything I could think of. There was a life preserver. So things to do with safety and danger. And um, so the, that title kind of came back when the solo was more about those themes. And then my good friend Ali said something that just has stuck with me um, a month or two ago. She said, you know... Um, we just just talking a lot about audiences and what is it when an audience comes to watch live performance and there's this desire that she was speaking about that um you know do we want an audience to come and take a risk by buying a ticket take a risk by coming and watching us perform um and so that really excited me so instead of just kind of getting comfy in your chair and sitting back and letting yourself settle back into something um perhaps that they're a little bit more on the edge of their seats in this show yeah they're coming in with a, a bit on guard with mm-hmm. a bit expectations perhaps but yeah. in a different direction than than you would maybe go and see a show that you think you're just going to sink into and enjoy yeah you're you're on the edge of your seat yeah as as soon as you enter yeah it's interesting to have a, a title that actually becomes a part of the work yeah 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 it it, it definitely kind of came together later <laughs> so you're you're doing back-to-back shows you have a show yeah every day yeah there isn't a day off yeah and uh you're the solo in particular kind of exploring um being alone right mm-hmm. just the, the, that isolation mm-hmm. how do you uh how have you been managing you know jumping into performing something like that that's so I'm under the impression there's a lot of content there and a lot of yeah uh, and then jumping you know coming out of the venue and being all surrounded by a bunch of people and the music (laughs) and the um so what are your what are your strategies in taking care of 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 yourself oh that's a great question um 
last year when I did my friend show in Winnipeg, it was a solo show and it was so sad to walk away from the green space in the sun with all of my friends and the beer tent and okay, it's five o'clock. I have to go and warm up by myself. I have to prep by myself. I have to perform. I mean, as soon as the audience comes in, you're not really alone. Um, but I think having Ian and Warren and our stage manager, Jorge, um, it's just been like such a family, such a community. And I feel, I feel for the artists that are doing solo shows because it, it's, it's hard, you know, there's, there's such a buzz of excitement going on right outside your door on the fringe grounds. And there you are in your craft, working, preparing, performing. Um, but, but yeah, the, um, I think it, it, it helped me a lot to have a lot of distance from when I did the Deep Bay Artist Residency because I actually ended up submitting myself to a state of isolation that was kind of traumatic that I didn't did not expect at all. I was at this cabin. There was nobody else around because it was late in the season. Um, there was no phone. There was no Wi-Fi. And right near the end of the two weeks, I got quite emotional and um, almost felt like an abandoned child or something. It was, I've never felt this before. Um, so that's definitely where the solo ended up months later, finally coming out of. Do you find it easier doing, um, a, a solo work in your home? Well, here in Winnipeg mm -hmm. or, or when you're away? Cause huh. I guess there's different things you can disconnect from or yeah. get away with. But. Yeah. Like when I did get served last year in Toronto, there was the other piece alongside it, the quartet. So I had those three mm. women with me. Um, that, that would be a, I, yeah, that would be a big leap. And I think I would need some kind of a, a buddy to go on tour with if I were to, to go perform solo. I think that's what's such a great thing about touring the circuit is that you do find that kind of buddy family yeah. with within the other performers. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, look forward to seeing you in Edmonton. Yes, <laughs> thank you. We've been speaking with uh, Alexandria Elliott from Alexandria Elliott Dance with the production At Your Own Risk. Uh, this double bill is going to be playing at the Dragon Arts Collective, which is venue 28 here at the Winnipeg Fringe Festival. Alex, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. The next show that we're going to be talking about in our coverage of dance at the Winnipeg Fringe Festival is called Text Me. It's a story ballet by uh, a group of artists who are currently enrolled in the Canada's Royal Winnipeg Ballet Aspirant Program and uh, choreographed by Philippe Jacques, uh, who is with us now, who's originally from Ottawa, which is great, uh, but currently resides in Winnipeg yes. and uh, is the, the choreographer and the one who put the show together. So hello, Philippe. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. So you, you were part of this program and kind of got a taste for choreography. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, I was in the Aspirant program and I, I completed the Aspirant program and 
Uh, I, my director, Stéphane Léonard, really enjoyed my work in my previous years in the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School professional division. And um, I showed an interest in choreography. And he, so I had a, he gave me opportunities. And from there, I, I kept on going. Excellent. And this is your first production for, for a Fringe Festival? Yes, this is my first Great. Fringe Festival production. So that's a nice, uh, a nice place to start, eh? Yes. Yes, it is. It's uh, accessible, and um, you get your first review, and it's not as uh, not as uh, tense. It is very tense, but it's, it's it's a smaller review, I guess, like a like a paragraph instead of like a full page or something like that. Sure. Yeah. And if we could take a step back and just talk about the the Royal Winnipeg Ballet and the the schooling that they do, because it is it is mm-hmm. nationally known. It is a very important uh, establishment here in Canada. Um, yeah. What can you tell us about it? Um, uh, I went through the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School, and it was uh, it was very intense, very uh, very strong on the classical, but we also did modern, and we had some. Uh, Spanish classical dance as well, so flamenco and such, and they also gave opportunities for choreography. And then I graduated from the school, and then the aspirant program is like a postgraduate program that they where they transition you from uh, school school student to professional. So they try to help you find a job. You get to work with the company and such. Yeah. Excellent. And then the company itself is, is well known for for being, you know top-notch classical mm-hmm. ballet company producing work. Yeah. 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 Um, so Text Me, yes. this, this show of yours that you've put together, uh, is uh, quite a mature subject matter, yes. I would say. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your who you're working with uh, for the inspiration and, and for the subject matter? Um, well, I've been uh, working with Beyond Borders Pack Canada, which is an, a not-for-profit that works uh, for, that works for the isu- against the issue of the sexual of sexual exploitation of children. Um, so they do this at a federal level. So they've uh, they've changed laws, and um, they also uh, try to be a bit more international as well. So that's what they do. But they're based here in Winnipeg. And so to continue on with the focus on the actual show and and the the content and and how you're tackling such a huge huge sort of deep and, and mature subject matter as Allison said how how have you gone about that as a choreographer I've tried to inform myself as best as possible um, I've had access to oral histories of activists who work in this subject as well as the knowledge of Beyond Borders ECPAC Canada and I tried to do everything in collaboration with them just to make sure that um, I am still on point with the subject um, but I I thought the best way to do this would be through um, a story, a narrative. I think people relate very well to narratives and um, emotionally. So that's how I thought I would tackle the subject. So I've made a, a short story about a girl that gets manipulated into this into the sex trade. Now there, I see a link between you know the sex trade having to deal with bodies and dance having to deal with bodies. Uh, why else did you choose to kind of use this subject? Um, as inspiration for a dance work? Um, I was actually... um, The inspiration actually came from uh, the president of Beyond Borders. I I met her in passing at at a lunch, and um, the ex-president, actually, Rosalind Prober, and she mentioned that we were talking about Fringe and how she loves Fringe, and she said it would be awesome to have a a dance on the subject, and I loved the idea, and from there, 
I applied and got a spot. Perfect. And then what um, well, I described it at the beginning as, as a story ballet. Um, so there's there's uh, gestures, and as you described at the beginning of the show, there are props that you use, and there's there's costumings as well, costuming as well to kind of tell the story, not just through ballet, but through kind of uh, some theatrics on top of it. Would you say that this is um, that what you've done is a is a typical story ballet format? I think it has roots in story ballet, um, but being a bit more uh, trying to be a bit more contemporary. Um, I tried to make it a bit more organic and not as theatrical, I guess. I tried to make the link between both the, um, the, the classical ballet story format and the more organic, contemporary feel for things. So that's what I tried to do. And though there is a lot of gestures and such, it wasn't. It's not this. It's not exactly as theatrical as it would be on a larger stage or with a bigger company. Or I want. I wanted to be more intimate and more organic. What was your process in in selecting your dancers and your performers for the piece? Um, well, I wanted them to be one. Availability <laughs> is very important. Very key. Yeah. <laughs> And um, secondly, um, well, let's say more so if we looked at it as why I picked them to be the characters they are, I tried to look at um, how they move as a dancer. Um, um, I wanted someone more mature for the mother. I wanted someone maybe who had a more younger feel to her to be the child. Um, And from there, it was also I wanted to have dancers that were mm, that were more um that were in general more like, mature in, than than I would than I could find I mm-hmm. guess yes mm-hmm. is this the first time that you've worked with such a kind of um pointed subject for dance work I think this is yes the most pointed subject I've ever worked with um though I I have done work um for I did a, a work for the David Suzuki Blue Dot tour so that was based on more of an environmental field. I tried, I tried to look at it as a perspective of um, like what would happen if we kept going in the same direction. So it had more of a nostalgic, more of an apocalyptic feel, I could say. But um, this is definitely the, the most pointed subject. I've also done something that was more based on uh, a v- view of women through, the, through time. So that was something else I did. But this is definitely the... the um, the toughest subject I've tackled. It occurred to me watching the show that there is perhaps a parallel um, between the exploitation of women, or young women, in uh, ballet. Is that something that occurred to you? Um, I don't like to say, I don't think that ballet would exploit people. I think people exploit people. So I don't think it is a... F- um, a fair thing to say that it is the art form that does it. I think maybe some people in the art form do that, but I don't think as an art form it would do so. What's it been like bringing such a such a heavy and and complex and um, show to the Fringe Festival? I think a lot of times uh, dance artists, choreographers struggle even with with any sort of dance show, not to mention one that has um, such a heavy kind of 
intense subject matter. So what would, has your experience been bringing this, this piece of work to, to the festival? Um, it's been great, actually. Um, um, we've had a lot of response from the media, which is really great. But um, also, people that have seen the show have really enjoyed it. So, and I, I thought the Fringe would be an ex- a way, an original way to bring the subject out, and also an accessible way. Um, you, it's um, it's open to everyone, and the the price is open to everyone. So, I thought it'd be a great way to get the to raise awareness. Absolutely. And since you have such a, a backing from the Royal Winnipeg Ballet as well, you know, this is this is your community and it's really exciting. Thank you. So what's next, Philip Schock? It seems like you're just at the beginning of something here. Um, I have a couple things lined up. Um, I'm going to be teaching a bit more this summer, um, but uh, I will be continuing to choreograph for the Royal Winnipeg Ballet School Aspirant Program this year, and I hope to one day choreograph on the company, so that would be something I would like to do in the future. And um, I have I'm, I've applied for grants to actually perform for a convention in Mexico, uh, called Metropolis, that is a uh, convention, international convention on migration. So I'd be looking at um, migrant workers. So that is something else I'll be tackling soon, hopefully. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, we've been talking to Philippe Jacques from uh, the dance company P Dance with the show Text Me here at the Winnipeg Fringe. It's in venue eight, which is the Rachel Brown Theater. Thank you very much. Thank you. So there's one more dance show in the Winnipeg Fringe Festival that we haven't talked about yet, and that's because it's our own dance show. So uh, for the Winnipeg listeners who may not be in uh, touch with Dirty Feet, um, myself, Alison Burns, and Stephanie Morin-Robert are usual hosts on the podcast, and Linnea Giviazda is a sometimes guest host and the three of us are uh in the in the cast for the show called for body and light presents coming and going by wired on words and uh there were the three dancers in the show stephanie's the choreographer and then ian farrier does the sound and poetry uh spoken word that accompanies the show so this this piece is something that we toured to many fringe cities last summer and are doing the same this year uh, so we covered the Toronto Fringe Festival, the Montreal Fringe Festival. Now we're in Winnipeg, and uh, Stephanie will be going on to cover further west and uh, Saskatoon, Edmonton, Victoria, and Vancouver, where Linnea will meet back up, let's hope. <laughs> in the meantime, uh, Linnea and I are here to kind of digest our, our Winnipeg experience with this, uh, with this touring show. Yeah, so I guess because we toured Saskatoon, Edmonton, Victoria, and Vancouver last summer um, with the same show, and then we've, we've come back this year to, to the some of the festivals we missed, Toronto and Winnipeg, um, 
Winnipeg really feels uh, like a huge, huge festival, kind of um, very sim- similar, similar to Edmonton, similar hype, um, you know, that everyone in, in the city seems to be kind of at the festival and taking time off work to go see shows and there's audience and people are excited because you're from out of town and we arrived and our technician said that there was, you know, buzz, buzz happening about our show and that was really exciting, so... So it's a real, a real fringe city here, and, and I think that's always fun for us to, to come into um, such enthusiastic audience and, and community. Um, so I've really, I've really been enjoying that aspect. I've had the opportunity, as, you, as you've heard, to see a lot of the other shows that are happening in the festival in, in the dance category. And uh, something I've noticed across the board is the, the technical quality of shows is very high. And I think that has to do with the, the huge establishment that is the Royal Winnipeg Ballet and the school program that goes along with that. And same with the Winnipeg Contemporary Dancers um, company and again their school. So I feel like there's a lot of emphasis on... on um, strong physicality and good technique both in you know modern and and classical dance here and uh it's been a it's been a pleasure to see that in the works even even at the fringe level yeah and i think because of those both those things as well there is a real uh excitement towards dance and there's a dance audience here and there's there's a comfort in in going to a dance show that isn't as risky as it is maybe in other cities where where you have people a bit scared of dance. So I think here, because there's such establishments, um, uh, there is a real dance audience, and and people are comfortable with the idea of of going to see dance in in the fringe, in a way that they aren't in other cities, and that's really cool. I also understand that this like encouraged patronship um, that happens you know, en masse at the Fringe Festival does occur the rest of the year as well. From what I understand, um, with conversations with artists who are established here, um, when you when you do put on a show, people do come out, which is really mm-hmm. exciting and inspiring. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that we kind of run into, especially um, in, well, Winnipeg now, in Saskatoon last year, and in Edmonton. Um, there's something about the, the communities there that that people are so enthusiastic and um, you go to a city like Montreal, Toronto, and, and I think we've probably mentioned this before as well, is that there's so much stuff happening all the time that there's a bit of a saturation and and it's nice to, to be part of a community or just different to be part of a community that there isn't such a saturation perhaps and, and people are more eager to go out and see things because they haven't seen a million other things already. Uh, this month you know the fringe is an exception and um yeah so just every city we've come into in in canada i think it's received us differently and they've all been positive i i don't i don't feel like we've had a negative experience um showing up in a city and and feeling like we weren't supported by the community and we weren't appreciated by the community our audiences have been really lovely and it's been so great to meet so many people from across the country with this show because it is a show inspired by by Canada and by by the tides and by the ocean and I think that it's changed a lot as we've traveled it to so many different places and Winnipeg is is special also 
in that we're meeting a whole new slew of artists as well. Just the, again, the size of the festival and, and the appeal of it as, as the festival where you come and make some coin, where you actually get some patrons out, um, guaranteed almost, then we, it's just a new group of people to meet and exchange shows with and, uh, yeah, and mix and mingle. So this is, uh, again, Alison Burns and Linnea Gibiazda who are signing off on uh, the rest of the Fringe. So uh, Stephanie Morin-Robert will give you more coverage of Fringe festivals as she continues westward. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. The Dirty Feet Podcast is produced and hosted by Produit et animé par Alison Burns J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Morin-Robert We have Mainline Theatre, Montreal Improv Theatre and Paula Flalo to thank. Merci pour le soutien. Vous pouvez visiter notre site web, écouter les derniers épisodes, lire notre blog, nous aimer sur Facebook et nous suivre sur Twitter. You can visit our website, listen to past episodes, read our blog, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Show us some love and help us spread the word. Montrez-nous un peu d'amour et aidez-nous à passer le mot.